there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's open the Word of God together, would you please, to the book of Genesis, this great book of beginnings. And let's review, class, just for a minute before we pick up our text tonight. I'm curious how far some of you read. I really am. We began our study where God begins with Abram in Genesis chapter number 12, where he had his encounter with the Lord, his, his starting point, his jumping off place. Everybody has to have that moment where they meet God. And everything else grows and flows out of that. The Lord sets much in motion there. And so you boil it all down, it's just the Lord and Abram. That's all it is, just the Lord and Abram. Tara's gone, family's gone, uh, familiar surroundings gone. It's just the Lord and Abram, and it's got to be the Lord and you and the Lord and me. And then just walk with me through the chapters for a moment. He, in chapter 12, starts doing something. Everywhere he went, he pitched a tent, and he built something. What did he build, class? You did listen. That's good. He built an altar. Everywhere he went, he built an altar, built an altar, built an altar. Look at me, please. He wasn't trying to build a business. He wasn't trying to build a house. He wasn't trying to build his own future. He was building an altar. Would you listen with your heart for a moment? If you build the altar, God will build the rest of it. And Abram understood that. And so we built the altar, and we visited some of those altars, and we learned that it's not just what happens at the altar, it's what comes, what? After the altar. Because the altar is not the end, the altar is the beginning of it all. Then come to chapter 13. At chapter 13, he continues his return to the altar. He goes back to Bethel, and we learn something about the new beginnings that God gives. In chapter 14, old nephew Lot got in trouble, and they sent for Uncle Abraham, and they said, we need your help. And Abram the Hebrew went and rescued everything and has his, his meeting, his divine intersection with Melchizedek, this beautiful picture of Christ, and learns much about the Most High God. So chapter by chapter, step by step along the journey, God is revealing more and more of himself to Abram. When you come to chapter number 15, look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Do you remember when Moses is going to say, uh, Pharaoh's going to ask your name, Lord. Tell me your name. And he says, just tell him I am. I am what? Yes, all of the above. The self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal one. See, I've got to say I am and put something after it. God can say I am, period. I am that I am. But it actually didn't begin with Moses. No, right here he begins by saying I am, thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Do you see the protection and the provision? God's working internally and externally. God's working in him and God's working for him. I tell you, there is nothing like belonging to the Lord. You can't beat being one of God's children. And so Abram's learning more and more and more. Verse number 7, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees 
to give thee this land to inherit it? Look at chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 90 years old and 9. Anybody 99 in here? I'm just looking. Any 99-year-old people in here? My wife's grandmother lived to be 100. And I've met some people through the years who've, who've lived this time of life. Here's the fascinating thing about Abram's story. When he was 99, he was just getting started. Look at the verse. He was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Let me ask you a question. Is there a period after that in your Bible? Yes or no? No, there's not. What's there, class? Yeah, very good. There's some grammar people in here. Yeah, there's a semicolon there. You know what it means? It means there's more to come, and it means what follows grows out of what proceeds. Do you see? God is always revealing himself, and man is always responding to God's revelation. The revelation is, I'm almighty God. The response is, walk before me and be thou perfect. I say again, you can't meet God and be the same. And look at the phrase. He said, walk before me. And be thou perfect. May I just give you a little nugget here before we come to our text tonight? I'm convinced that phrase is the secret to Abraham's faithfulness. You ever wonder how a man could be faithful for so many years without a child and then be faithful when God gave him the child and asked him to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah and then be faithful coming out of that to teach him the things he was supposed to teach him? I mean, this was quite a journey that Abraham had of faith, and he's the father of the faithful when you come to Hebrews chapter number 11. What is the key to that consistency? I'm convinced it's this one little phrase right here. He learned to walk every day before God. The secret to consistency is living constantly and consciously in the presence of Almighty God. Look at that little phrase. To walk means every step. And here's the key word, before me. N look, not in front of everybody else, but recognizing that at every step, God's eye is on me. Did you know that same phrase is used by Abraham himself when he speaks to his servant Eleazar a few chapters later and he sends him down. He says, the angel's going to go before you and you're going to find my son a bride. And he said, the God before whom I walk, the exact same phrase that was used here. Don't you love it when we take God's word and start repeating God's word and living by God's word? That's exactly what this man did. And so step by step, we're following him through this wilderness and pitching our tent with him. And what are we finding? God is faithful and Abraham is learning to be. This is the chapter where Abram becomes Abraham. And then we come to our chapter tonight, chapter 18. How many of you read all the way to chapter 18 today? I'm just curious. Anybody? Very good. These are the overachievers among us. I want you to know that, all right? Chapter 18 is a fascinating chapter. Notice how it begins. Verse number 1, And the Lord appeared unto him, in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Now, there's a little play on words here because the name Mamre, do you see the name Mamre? It means vision. So he's camped in a place that's called vision, and he has quite a sight. And there's a little play on it here. He lifts up his eyes. He looks. He saw them. What did he see? Three men show up. These are not just any three men. Two of them are angels. We know that because later in this chapter, the Lord's going to identify two of them as angels. But the man in the middle... 
Sound familiar? Was not an angel. No, no, he was the Lord himself. It's my conviction this is what we would call a, a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. See, Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem any more than the Holy Ghost started on the day of Pentecost. No, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. Somebody said, you mean to tell me that the Lord Jesus was around all the way back here in Genesis chapter number 18? No, I'm here to tell you Jesus was around before Adam was around. I'm here to tell you that the Word was with God in the very beginning and that the Word had no beginning himself. Isn't that a glorious thought? But here he makes an appearance. And I believe because of what we're going to find later in this chapter that Abraham recognizes this man. He's different than the other two. And he's different than me. In fact, he falls on his face. Look at it, please. And he says, in verse number 3, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. This is more than just Eastern hospitality. This is more than just ancient customs and culture, being nice to the people passing through town. No, I, I'm convinced that Abraham, who rejoiced to see Christ's day, the Lord would later testify, knew exactly who this was. And through the, through the lens of faith, the Holy Spirit helped him understand whose presence he was in. And so follows what I think is one of the most fascinating conversations in all of Scripture because the Lord's about to tell Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a baby. And they laughed exactly like you laughed. And the Lord said, I'm going to turn that laughter of unbelief into the laughter of joy. And that's exactly what he does. We'll come back to that tomorrow night. Would you come down with me in chapter 18 to verse number 16? Because at the end of their conversation, we read, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Every time I read that, I just got to tell you, every time I read that, I just marvel to think that the Lord looked look at those angels and say, I don't think I need to keep from Abraham what's getting ready to happen. Can you imagine living so close to God that God wanted to share his heart with you? Let me let you in a little secret. God speaks to those who live close to him. When you live close to the heart of God, you'll hear his heart. You'll hear the still, small voice of God. And the Lord says, I, I don't think I'm going to hide this thing that I'm going to do from Abraham. Look at verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see. Does that, that sound familiar to you? You remember the Tower of Babel? Same rebel heart? Same wicked imaginations. Listen to me. God always comes down to see. 
You think the Lord's going to let this world just go on the collision course it's on right now forever? Do you really think we're going to get by with all the vile corruption that's in our society at this moment? I tell you, there's a day our Lord's getting ready to come down to see again. And when it comes down the next time, it's going to be for judgment. He says, I'll come down and see whether they've done all together according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. I love this. Look at the last phrase of verse 22. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Anybody remember how many men showed up at Lot's front door? How many, how many showed up? No, no, two. Two angels show up at Lot's front door. How many showed up at Abraham's front door? Three did. Why was there three at Abraham's front door and two at Lot's front door? May I tell you why? Because the two that showed up at Lot's front door were the two men that departed on their way to the city of Sodom. They were the angels. Who was the third man? Oh, I love this. The third man was actually the first. You know who the first is? That's the Lord himself. And when the two passed on, Abraham and the Lord just had a conversation together. How many of you would like to just stand in the presence of Almighty God and have a conversation with the Lord? You understand you can do that any day you want? If I said to you, Jesus will be in this auditorium tonight, he'll be here at 8 o'clock, how many of you would stick around? No, you wouldn't. You'd fight for the front seats. You'd call all your friends and family and neighbors and say, you've got to get to the church house. Jesus is going to speak to us tonight. Do you understand that every day you live, the Lord Jesus wants to speak to us and gives us the privilege of talking to him? And Abraham stands in the presence of God, and I love this. Look at verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And there follows one of the great intercessory prayers of the whole of Scripture as he mediates for wicked men. I was thinking driving over here tonight. You know, honestly, we get so annoyed at sinners. Don't we get annoyed? I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. Before I came to church tonight, I flipped on the news for just a minute. I shouldn't have done it. And I thought I'd just catch the headlines and see what's going on in the world. And honestly, I watched for a few moments, and I was so aggravated. You know what I discovered? Just like that, you can get in the flesh. And as a Christian, may I remind you, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, and your anger is no better than their anger. So when you just get aggravated and angry at sinners, that's not going to make the difference. And we like to justify it by calling it righteous indignation. Uh, can I remind you, it's compassion that really makes the difference. Why should we be shocked when sinners act like sinners? No, seriously. Why should we be surprised when unregenerate men act like unregenerate men? Do you remember where you were before you got saved? You ever think about where you would be if you hadn't gotten saved? Do you understand that when we stand overlooking our Sodom and we just fuss at the darkness and talk about how bad it is but do nothing to pray for the salvation of lost souls, we are missing our moment with God. And I thought as I drove over here tonight, I think some of us are better at praying the imprecatory prayers than we are the intercessory prayers. You know what the imprecatory prayers are? That's the ones where David prayed against the Lord's enemies and said, Lord, kill all of them, smite them all. And we started praying that way. Let me ask you a question. Where's the man, as Ezekiel talked about, who will make up the hedge and stand in the gap and find his place between a holy God and unholy man? Where are the people that still have tears for sinners and will plead that God will spare souls? Where are those people? 
Abraham was such a man. See, when you get near the heart of God, God's heart captures you. You hate what he hates, but you love what he loves. You hate the sin and the wickedness and the debauchery and the corruption, but you love the eternal, never-dying souls of men, women, boys, and girls. That's what happened to Abraham. And so we come to the end of the prayer. Look at how the chapter ends in verse 33. Like bookends on the story, and the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. For a few moments tonight, I'd like to talk to you about finding your place in this world. We use that expression sometimes, don't we, for our children? We say, well, you just got to give her a little room. She's trying to find her place in this world. Well, be patient with him. He's trying to find his place in this world. Sometimes when people come into a church, we say, give them a little room. they they got to find their place. Give them time to find their place. We mean by that to, to find their identity, to, to find their purpose, to find their meaning, to, to find the place where they're going to plug in. But we got a problem. You know what our problem is? Jesus said we're in the world, but we're not of the world, which means we're living in a world and we don't fit. How many of you ever feel out of place in this world? For the record, you ought to. Because this world is not home to you. In fact, we're basically, essentially, in the same situation that Abraham and his family was. We are sojourners. We're travelers. We're journeymen. We're pilgrims. We're wanderers. We're headed home, but we're not there. So here's my question. What is our place in this world? Before I show you, we'll answer it straight from the Bible. Turn over to the book of Hebrews with me again for just a moment. Now look at Hebrews chapter number 11. Let's let God speak to us about this. Now this, is, this is the New Testament commentary on what we're studying right now. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse number 9. This is talking about Abraham. We looked at verse 8 yesterday. Verse 9 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. Remember that. That's his son and his grandson. The heirs with him of the same promise. I love this. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It dawned on me some time ago as I was meditating on this passage. I don't know how I missed this. I had in my mind that Abraham felt like a pilgrim and a wanderer all the way from Ur of the Chaldees. But when he got to the land of Canaan, he felt at home because that was the promised land. And then I was reading this, and I realized when he got into the promised land, he still didn't feel at home. Do you know why that is? Because his home is not in this world. His home is in the world to come. See, the city he's looking for that hath foundations is the city God describes in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look, please. Foundations on this world are shaking and crumbling, and they're changing all the time. There's only one city that has foundations that will never be moved, and that's the city God is preparing for his children. It's where we're going to live someday. It's not just for him. It's for us. Look down to verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country. Anybody else desire a better country? That is an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Read it with me, would you, church? For he hath prepared for them a city. Look, Abraham was looking for the same city we're looking for. We're all going to live together in the same city. That's going to be some kind of city, isn't it? 
It's the city God prepared. So if that's my residence, that's my home, that's my country, that's where I belong, and that's where I'm going to live for eternity, pray tell me, please, what is my place in this world? Some people almost have the idea, one of two extremes. One extreme is, well, I got saved, so it's all done now. I'm ready to go to heaven. Almost like, you know, the, the rest of it doesn't matter. We're, we're just getting ready for Sunday. I want to remind you that God's salvation is a present tense salvation, and he didn't just save you for Sunday. He saved you for today. If the only thing there was to it, Pastor, is people praying a prayer and getting saved and being ready for heaven someday, those people got saved yesterday. We should have hit them in the head with a baseball bat and sent them straight to glory. That's what we should have done. And just get it over with. Isn't that right? But we don't do that. You know why? Because that's not the end. That's the beginning. God has more for us now, you see. And then on the other extreme, you got people that say, well, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, but now I'm going to try to fit into this world best I possibly can. I just want to remind you, God didn't call you and saved you so you'd fit into a lost, unregenerate world filled with darkness. He saved you for his own purpose in this world. In fact, the only time that Abraham really messed things up in his family, I mean, he made a lot of blunders like we all do. Any other sinners here tonight just curious? But let me tell you the big blunder he made. He had a baby by a woman that wasn't his wife. Her name was Hagar. Everybody remember that? Had a little boy named Ishmael. Became the father of nations that would become the arch enemy of the promised seed. And on and on through history, the battle has raged. Can I tell you a little something interesting about Hagar? Did you know that in the culture of their day, it was very accepted that if a man and woman could not have a baby, they would use the handmaid in their house to, to produce offspring to have a baby? Look, all he was doing was what culture says was okay to do. You listen to me. God's people ought not take their cues from the culture. It is constantly changing. We must take our cues from the unchanging truth of the word of the living God. So if that's true... What's our place? Why am I here? How on earth am I supposed to live in the midst of this dark world we're in? All right, let's go back to Genesis and answer that from the Word of God. May we? Look at Genesis chapter number 18 and verse number 18. Here's your first place. Would you like to know your place in this world? Now look at verse 18. He says of Abraham that he would become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, let's get this out of the way. Israel and the church are not the same thing. You're not under the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, I, I just came back from Israel. Some of you just came back from Israel. And I love Israel, and I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And while you're at it, pray that our nation stays peaceable to Jerusalem. But I want you to know, though I am not, of Abraham, I serve the same God Abraham did. And though I am not Israel, praise the Lord, I've been grafted in and I belong to the same Jehovah God that he served. Aren't you happy about that? It's to the Jew first, hallelujah, it's also to the Greek. And so we're not talking about just his family here. I'm trying to show you a principle. Here's the first. Would you write it down? He shows us first our place among the nations. You know what God has always wanted? God has always wanted a people who would represent him in this world from the very beginning. Do you know when God shaped Adam and 
breathed in his nostrils his own breath. That's powerful stuff. You think about that, in the Creator's hand, with the Creator's breath. He put a little bit of eternity inside of man. He put in Adam what he didn't put in the animals. He, he didn't just give Adam a soul consciousness. He gave him a spirit consciousness. He gave him a, a little bit of eternity inside of him. He set the world in his heart is what Solomon says. Do you, do you understand what that means? It means that God was ordaining that man would be his representative on this earth. That he would be fruitful and multiply because God's a fruitful multiplying God. That he, would, that he would rule graciously but firmly, that he would have dominion because that's the way our God rules. You see, God wanted man to be his representative on this planet. How many of you think we messed that up? And so what does God do? God calls a nation. And what was the nation? It was the nation of Israel. And what was Israel's great purpose? See, even Israel missed this. Israel thought it was all about them. It's never all about us. Israel's great purpose was not that God would simply bless them. It was that God would bless the world through them. From the very beginning, God called Abraham not just so his family would have a good life, but so all the families of the earth would know who the God of heaven and earth was. And Israel when they rejected their Messiah, miserably failed. And so what does our Lord do? Our Lord Jesus came and he started something. He started something really wonderful. You're a part of it. Do you know what it is? It's the church. And the church doesn't take the place of Israel. God's not finished with Israel. But let me tell you what the church does in this world, at least what it's supposed to do in this world. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the Lord's light in a dark world. What does that mean? It means that the church has been called and commanded and commissioned by Almighty God to represent Him in His holiness and in His grace in this world. And I might say, as surely as Adam failed and Israel failed, I think in many places, in many respects, the church is failing at that at this very moment, and we're going to give an account to Almighty God for that. And I tell you what God's heart from the very beginning was. God's heart from the very beginning in Abraham's life was that God would shape him and mold him and make him and transform him and make him something he could never make of himself, not for his own good and not for his own glory, but for the good of others and the glory of God. This was bigger than Abraham. This was bigger than Israel. This was bigger than any man or any family. This is God's eternal purpose. This is the missionary heart of Almighty God on full display all the way back in the book of Genesis. You see, the heart of God has always been a heart for all people. For the record, I'm a whosoever will preacher. You know why I'm a whosoever will preacher? Because God's a whosoever will God. I still believe God loves all people and Christ died for every man and the most equal unprejudiced thing on planet earth is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because we're all sinners and we're all lost and we all need a Savior and we all get saved the same way. This is what God is trying to reveal to us. May I tell you what our place among the nations is? God saved you, not just so you wouldn't go to hell. God saved you so you could take a whole bunch of other people with you to heaven. Why are you still here? My best friend, 
died just a few months ago serving in the Middle East. My age, shot to death in front of his wife. Very difficult. Talked to her just a few days ago again, praying for the family. I talked to him about 30 minutes before he saw Jesus. We were talking about a gospel project, and he said to me, last words I remember him saying to me, he did say, I love you, before we hung up. The last thing I remember him saying to me about what we were discussing were these words. He said, Scott, we just have to do more. Little did he know, in half an hour, he'd be in the presence of Jesus. He can do no more. But I'm still here. Why'd God leave me here? Why are you breathing at this moment? Look, I'm happy about going to heaven. Are you happy about going to heaven? I'm looking forward to it. But let me ask you a personal question. Don't, don't answer out loud. Just between you and God, who are you taking with you? Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so not one soul with which to greet him? Must I empty-handed go? When you kneel at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ, some things aren't going to matter. Only two eternal things on this planet. That's the eternal Word of God we're studying tonight and the eternal souls of men. That's the only two things on this earth right now that will exist 1,000 years from this moment. Who will point at you at the judgment seat of Christ and say, that man led me to Jesus. That woman wept over my soul. That, that family adopted us and came after us with the gospel. Those people prayed me to Jesus. That, that believer wouldn't, wouldn't get, leave me alone until I heard how I could have my sin forgiven. I'm thinking right now of the woman who led me to Jesus. You remember who led you to Jesus? Does anyone think of you? Because our place among the nations is not just to build a good life and have a good time and enjoy the American dream and leave some money to our children. It is to invest in eternal things. I've marked two words in my verse. Would you mark them in your verse? In verse 18, would you mark the word become? We're always becoming, aren't we? And you know what's really interesting to me? Abraham was going to become what God wanted him to be in the midst of a crooked and perverted place. Let that sink in just a minute because we've got a whole bunch of Christians talking about how bad society is, how the whole culture will get better. I just want to tell you, God designed the Christian life so you could live it if nobody else around you is living it. Abraham, Sarah, you can have a Christian home if nobody else on your block has a Christian home. God made it that way. You, you don't become what God wants you to be when the things get easier and the place gets better and everybody else do it. Somebody has to lead the way. Our place among the nations is a place of becoming. Here's the second word. Would you mark the word blessed? So not only is he becoming, but others are being blessed because of him. The, the place among the nations is a place where we're becoming what God saved us to become and the place where we are blessing this lost world with the presence of God because we are there. The salt and light, the people pointing the way to eternal life. I thought of this last, last evening as I was just meditating on this early this morning. So often when I've read through the book of Genesis and then got to the book of Exodus, all I could see was God driving the nations, driving the nations, driving the nations out before Israel. Isn't that right? And suddenly it hit me when I read this. that God wasn't just driving out nations. Oh, he did that. 
made a room, made, made a place for, to give that promised land to Israel. But God wasn't just driving nations out of the land. God was trying to draw those nations to himself. Do you know why he put Israel in the crossroads of the world? Do you know why he planted his promised seed in that little stretch of land that connects three continents? Let me tell you why. Because God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what he was doing? He was establishing a beachhead there so that the truth could, like a tidal wave, a ripple effect, touch the whole world. I'm going to tell you why God put this church in this town. Somebody said, well, somebody came here and started it. Thank God they started it. But they didn't start it to start it. They started it to see what it would become for the glory of God, how it could bless others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the record, this town needs this church more than it ever has. And your beloved state, as beautiful as it is, is more desperate for the message of Jesus and salvation than it has ever been. A better politician is not going to fix the mess we are in. People need Jesus Christ. And God's people need to find their place and realize we must do our part while we still have opportunity. The gospel window is closing. And we have this moment. Would you mark this in your Bible in verse 18? Mark the words. The nations. Do you see the plural? The nations. Not the nation, Israel. The nations. Let me show you something. Take a little journey with me just for a second. Go to the Psalms, would you? Come to Psalm 67. Right in the middle of your Bible. Right in the heart of Scripture. Here's the heart of God. Look at Psalm 67, verse 1. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Now, we pray that a lot, don't we? Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. I mean, think. Didn't you in some way, in some word today, ask God to bless you? How many of you asked God to bless you or your family in any way today? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Did you get to verse 2? That thy way may be known upon earth. Thy saving health among all nations. Friends, I'm going to tell you what we're living in. We're living in the cancer ward right now. That's where we're living. That's where we're living, surrounded by sin-sick people, wounded souls everywhere. They're everywhere. Cross the street from where you live, just down the road from this church. In the next office down in your office, sin-sick souls, they're dying. You know what they need? They need the saving health that only the Lord can bring. God didn't bless us to bless us. God blesses us to make us a blessing. We got too many Dead Sea Christians and Dead Sea churches that all the good is flowing out into, but nothing much is flowing out of. And we sit around for decades having our Bible studies and getting more spiritually bloated all the time because we're taking in, but we're never passing it on. Oh, may the Lord awaken his people to find their place among the nations again. The nations, the nations, the nations. And you hear Jesus say in Matthew chapter 28, go and teach all what? There's that word again. You hear the heart cry of God throbbing for souls. Dear Lord, let us see Sodom like you see Sodom. 
Let us weep over sinners like you weep over sinners. Let us stand with Jesus over Jerusalem and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, when was the last time you wept for a soul? When was the last time we fasted and prayed that some sinner would be brought to faith in Jesus? God's people must find their place again. How do we expect lost people to find their way into the kingdom of God when God's people are themselves not in the place where they ought to be? Let me show you where it all ends. Go to the end of your Bible. They've gone from the beginning of the Bible to the middle of the Bible to the end of the Bible. So you can tell somebody I preached the whole Bible tonight, all right? Look at Revelation 7, verse 9. Here's where it's all going. You want to know where it's going? Look at Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all what? Here's that word again. All nations. And kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when all the saved people get there singing that song together? I mean, seriously. Look, you think this has been a good worship service? You've never been in a worship service like the one we're going to be in someday. And guess who's going to be there? All nations. My son and I flew into Santo Domingo last week, and we landed just in time literally to brush our teeth and be taken to a, a local church, and it was right down the city in a very difficult section, and, and the pastor was away, and his wife and family were there, and the people started coming in. Man, they packed the place out. I had to speak to an interpreter. My Spanish is not good, and their English is not good, and so thank God for good translators. And I sat on the second row, and they started to sing. Man, did they sing. And no one was translating for me, but many of the songs I recognized, and I wept. And all I could think was what the Scripture says here about all nations and all tongues. You do understand God knows all the languages, right? See, He made them. He understands all of them. And I really believe this because it says all tongues. I think someday around the throne it, you're going to hear every tongue and every language and you'll understand every one of them perfectly. But all of them will be singing the same thing. What? Salvation unto our God. But the only ones who will be there are those who got the message. You say, oh, I can't save everybody. I can't win everybody. Truth is you can't save anybody. The Lord has to do the saving. But you can reach somebody for the gospel. Now, you can't go everywhere. Abraham didn't go everywhere. But he went somewhere. And he started right where he was. Let me show you a second thing. Now, I'll be done in just a moment. Go back to Genesis, would you please? You want to find your place in this world first? Find your place among the nations. And secondly, find your place in your own family. <laughs> now we're getting down to where we live. So you say you want to change the world. Okay, start at home. Because not a one of us is a better Christian than the Christian we are in the privacy of our own home. Do you see how verse 18 is immediately followed by verse 19? He, in verse 18, he's going to touch the nations. But in verse 19, God says, I know him. Every time I read that, I get smitten with conviction. What does God know about you? Yeah. Let me ask you, if the Lord stood up and testified about you tonight, what would he say he knows about you? That's thought-provoking, isn't it? He said, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. 
and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Don't miss this. If you want to find your place in this world, you must begin right in your own home. God's given you a family. God's given you people that you love and people that love you. Maybe you say, well, my kids are grown. That doesn't mean you don't have any influence. Matter of fact, you grandparents, I want you to know something. It was my grandparents that had some of the most profound influence on my life. Don't you underestimate the influence you have on the generation that follows after you. You read Psalm 78 again. It's not just to your children. It's to your children's children. And then what the children's children are going to pass on. See, this is a relay race. You, you receive and you relay. You pass the baton of faith to the generation coming along behind you. Your work is not done until that faith has been passed on to the third and fourth generations. If I had time, I'd take you to the classic passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Everybody know Deuteronomy 6, where parents are told to teach their children when they walk by the way, when they rise up, when they lie down, when they sit in their house and all that passage. In the same passage, it talks about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. You ever wonder why you have that triplet, that trio all together? Because God is saying that granddaddy and daddy and son, everyone must choose to believe and obey God in their generation, but every generation has a responsibility to the generations coming along behind it. I'm standing here tonight because of a faithful daddy. I'm standing here tonight because of a faithful grandfather. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody has that opportunity, but may I say, if you don't have that godly line, start you one. Because it's got to start with somebody. Somebody's got to be Abraham in your family. And if you get the joy and privilege of being Isaac or being Jacob or being Joseph, you thank God every day for the holy heritage that's been handed to you. Don't you waste what God has entrusted to your life. Abraham must find his place in his own home. Do you remember we read in Hebrews 11 that he made the journey with Isaac and with Jacob? I love that word with. It's the same word that Jesus used when the Bible says he called the disciples to be with him. And then he sent them forth to preach. Look, please, you're not making this journey by yourself. You bring your family along with you on the journey. Pray over your family. Intercede for your family. Speak to your family about spiritual things. Start right where you are. Let me tell you about Abraham. Two things I see in this verse. I see integrity and I see instruction. The integrity is God said, I know the man. I know the man. By the way, the only testimony that matters in the end is the one God gives about you. He said, I know him. He will. That's a pretty strong testimony. I can see my dad's face right now. My dad was a businessman. He's not a preacher. He was a businessman. And when he was in his 30s, God called him to preach. For several years, he was bivocational. And then at a certain juncture in his life and ministry, he left his business uh, very, very successful, walked away from it, became a full-time pastor. He's pastor of the same church now for 33 years. My dad's a wonderful preacher, but when I think of my dad, I'm going to tell you what I think of, not sermons. I think of his integrity. I know him. I've watched him in private. I've watched him in difficult seasons. I've watched him just seek to simply please God. And I've prayed, dear Lord, let me be that kind of man. When I die, I don't care that my kids say, Daddy preached in a lot of places. I'd like Grant to say, my dad taught me to pray. 
I'd like Morgan and Lauren to say, our daddy showed us what it was to walk with Jesus. They taught us the Bible. Their integrity. And the integrity isn't kept to yourself. It becomes instruction. Look at the verse because now he's commanding his children. That's a serious word. That's a sobering assignment. Don't you take it lightly, dear ones. Whatever opportunity you have, seize that moment and find your place in your family. And so we find our place among the nations and we find our place in our own family. And then thirdly and quickly we find our place with the Lord. And isn't this really what it's all about? What was his place with the Lord? Well, we come now to verse 22, where Abraham stood yet before the Lord. The whole passage really is full of it. Didn't you love, didn't you love in verse 1 and 2 how Abraham welcomed the Lord into his home? Wouldn't it be great if the Lord felt that welcome at our house? Is the Lord that welcome at your house? Or would it be an intrusion? There are two things I see Abraham doing. One is running. Remember, he ran to get things ready, and the other is bowing. There was, a, there was a thrill to his soul, and there was a humility and honor to God. Dear Lord, let that be true of me. And think of the intimacy of God saying, I, I'm going to share with him what I'm going to do. There was something that, that the Lord and Abraham shared together, and Abraham had learned what it was to enter into the secret place and simply be with God. May I give you two simple thoughts? Write them down somewhere. May I tell you what our place with the Lord is? First of all, it's a place of communion. In fact, that's the word that's used at the end of the chapter in verse 33. He had been communing with Abraham. That's more than communication. Communication can be head level. You know what communion is? That's heart level stuff. This is wide open, transparent before the Lord, communing with God. May I ask you a question? How long has it been since you communed with the Lord? I'm not asking, did you read your Bible today? That's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you, did you say your prayers? I'm not asking, have you been in church lately? Because you all are here on a Monday night. I know who I'm preaching to. I'm asking, when was the last time you were alone in a secret place with nobody but you and God, and you just bared your soul to God and know that God ministered deeply to you, and you were in the presence of Almighty God? That's what we're missing, people. We've lost the secret place. We've, we've forgotten the upper room. We've missed the holy of holies. How's that possible? We can go through the motions and mechanics of our faith, the, the religious routines and rituals that have become our ruts. We say our religious cliches and sing our hymns, and they mean so little to us. How is it possible that we have missed our communion with the Lord? This is a word of fellowship. In fact, look, look what the Bible says in verse number 22. You see his position. He's standing. What's that? That's a position of reverence. Then it says that Abraham stood yet. There's his persistence. He's still standing. Everybody else is gone. He's not. He, he's got to be with the Lord. He stood yet, there's that phrase again, before the Lord. What's his passion? His passion is God himself, not something but someone. And not just any someone, but the Lord himself. Now, this is really interesting. He didn't follow the angels. He stood with Jesus. We got a whole generation of superstitious people, religious people who want to talk about angels and all these things that are peripheral, temporal, secondary kind of things, and we're missing God in the midst of it. Don't you chase a, a euphoric experience or an event or an emotion. You chase after God and pursue the Lord. 
Look at his pursuit in verse number 23. Abraham drew near. Can't you hear the words of the writer of Hebrews? Draw near. We draw near with a full assurance. Can you hear James? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, may God raise up another generation of people like Abraham who find their place with the Lord again. And if you think this was one occasion, turn one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 19, verse 27. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Sounds to me like he had a place where he went frequently. What do you think? Do you have such a place? We have a place where we watch television. (laughs) We have a place where we play. We have a place where we eat. We have a place where we sleep. Do you have a place where you meet God? Our place is a place of communion. One more thing. Would you write it down? Our place with the Lord is a place of intercession. See, intimacy always becomes intercession because when you get near God, you stop just thinking about you and you start thinking about others. That's what God's thinking about. You had anybody in your heart lately? I called a man today. He's been on my heart. I texted a man on my way here tonight. The Lord brought to my mind. You had anybody God's put on your heart? Any, any face come before you right now, even as I'm speaking, that the Holy Spirit has assigned you? What have you done about it lately? The place of intercession. You know the highest prayer is intercessory prayer? So how can you say that's the highest prayer? Because that's the kind of praying Jesus does. I don't think you get any higher than that. You start low with confession, but you go high with intercession. 90% of our prayers are all for us. You know what it should be? It should be that we so commune with God that humbly and boldly and specifically and compassionately and perseveringly like Abraham, we say, oh, God, i got to talk to you about Sodom, and i got to talk to you about Lot, and i got to talk to you about Lot's family. They're living down there. I'm going to tell you why we haven't had revival. It's not for lack of preaching. It's for lack of praying. we got more preachers than we've ever had. We, we got more Christian radio and Christian television and, and Christian books and bookstores and online resources. I mean, I'm telling you, we got it coming out our ears, and we got less of the power of the Holy Ghost. You know what's missing? Where are the people on their face seeking a holy God? You pray, and you watch God work. The greatest ministry in the church is the mentor, ministry of intercessory prayer. And I know, I know what somebody's going to say. Well, Abram prayed, and he didn't get his prayer answered. Really? Because Lot and his daughters made it out, didn't they? Matter of fact, you're still in chapter 19. Look at verse 28. While he's in his place of prayer, he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. How'd you like to see that from your prayer closet? Look at verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, mark this in your Bible, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. God didn't deliver Lot for Lot's sake. God delivered Lot once again for Uncle Abraham's sake. And I wonder who will be in heaven, what prodigal will come home, what life will be changed because we finally got in our place. Early on, starting out, Pastor, I was preaching in Alabama at a camp. Elderly couple came in the back. I thought they were elderly at the time. They're still still living. They're really elderly now. It's all relative, isn't it? Sat on the back row, and I thought, I know those people. I know those people. 
And I did know those people. It was my Uncle Eustace. Eustace Riggs. I don't know if you know him or not, but Eustace Riggs has been at it for a long time now. Up in his 90s, I think. Uncle Eustace said to me at the end of that meeting that morning, he said, Mama and I came over to take you and your wife to lunch, and we went and had lunch. And he said, we wanted to show you the old home place. And they took us out in the country, the old home place, and the girls sat in the living room, and we walked around. And Uncle Eustace said after he'd showed me the farm, he said, I wanted to show you one more place. And he took me up a set of rickety old steps into a little, little tiny room off the first landing. I can still see it. Small little room. It had a twin bed in it, a rocking chair, and Bibles and books everywhere. She hadn't cleaned it. You could tell it was his place, you know. He sat down in the rocking chair, and I sat down on the edge of the bed. And for nearly an hour, Uncle Eustace just encouraged a young preacher starting out. He helped me. When we finished our conversation, I stood and I said, Uncle Eustace, i got to leave now. He's a great uncle to me. I hadn't seen him much. i, I got to leave now. He said, let's pray before you go. I got down on one side of the bed, and he got down on the other side of the bed, and he said, you, you open our prayer, and I'll close it. And I launched into my prayer. I wish you could have been there. It was a beautiful prayer. It really was. I mean, I said a lot of really great things in that prayer. I wanted him to know that this young preacher really knew how to pray, you know. I mean, I put a lot of heart and soul in that prayer. When I finished my prayer and said amen, it was quiet. And it was quiet so long, I thought maybe the old fellow had left. And I opened one eye, and he was still there. I can see him. He was bent over the bed, tears streaming down his face. And after several minutes of being quiet, I heard him say one word. <laughs> he said, Father. I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical. I'm just telling you. At that moment, it was like everything changed. It was like literally like I was a million miles away and the Lord was sitting there on the bed and the two of them were having a conversation. I'd never heard anybody pray like that. In fact, he wasn't trying to impress me. It was really like I could tell. It was like he had forgotten I was there. And I listened to him commune. And then I listened to him intercede. He prayed for me. When he said amen, we said our goodbyes. I went downstairs and got Tammy, and we got in the car. I still remember this. And we are driving down this little country lane. She's telling me all about what they'd talked about and what she'd seen. And we hadn't been married long. And finally, we drove along a little ways, and she looked at me, and she said, something happened to you. I said, it did. She said, what? I said, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it yet. But there's something that old man, that farmhouse has that I need. I'm going to tell you what it was. I had been with him in his place where he and the Lord met. And I learned something that day. I'm still learning it. It's not about the geography because Abraham was somewhere different every night. And it wasn't about his, his position in life because his circumstances were constantly changing. It was about the one thing that never changed. 
And that was his place with the Lord. You hear me, friend? If you find your place among the nations and your place with your family and your place in the Lord, you have found your place in this world. No, no. You have found God's place for you in this world. And that is the greatest place of all. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.